Hey guys, welcome to the Georgia Field Hunting Podcast, episode 41. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, here with co-host Robert Nelson, and we're back after a, a one-week <laughs> hiatus there. Uh, sorry about that, guys. I, I knew it was probably only a matter of time before, you know, we just wasn't able to come together uh, on a week there, just uh, with everything going on. Uh, with my with my uh, honeydew list and uh, <laughs> and you know being in the, the the throes of hunting season there it's not always uh, easy to get up get caught up with some of these guys that are out there you know busy hunting themselves and and so yeah we had a we had a week off there but we're back um, we're gonna cover we asked you guys um, a, a week or so ago to just throw us some questions uh, anything you'd like us to kind of cover on one of these podcasts or, you know, questions you have for us, whatever the case may be. And uh, you guys came through and and delivered quite a few questions between Instagram and Facebook. So we're going to hit on some of those tonight, just kind of do a, a little Q&A thing. Um, you know, we'll, we'll just be kind of all over the place here, I guess, with I've seen some on public land and pressure and I don't know, a little, little bit of everything. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about those and uh, we'll also, I guess, do a, an update on on how things are going for us, which, uh, as I already mentioned, I, mine's pretty much been uh, the honeydew list on the new house. Haven't got I did get I guess since our last podcast, I got out with uh, the guy I've been mentoring, uh, SJ. Uh, we did get out for hunt. Nothing really to report there. We didn't we didn't end up seeing any deer. Um, I took him to a spot where I had some some luck the last two seasons and in, in the late season well actually the last day of the season the the previous two years i killed a, a doe in there um just a good area with a lot of honeysuckle and greenbrier so it's it's usually a pretty good late season spot but and the sign was there they definitely been in there but you know for whatever reason that evening we we didn't have any luck but uh hopefully i'll be able to get him out a few more times here before the season ends and, and help him get his first deer but that's right um I know you've been out a little bit more than I have. How's how's your hunting trips been going? Uh, you want the good or you want the heartbreak first? <laughs> that, that's up to you, man. Uh, I give you the good first. So yeah, I've been out hunting quite a bit actually. Um, not during the week, obviously, because of work. And by the time I get home, it's a uh, dark. But on the weekends, I've been hunting a lot. Uh, hunted last weekend and had some really good hunts. Just nothing, nothing that you know nothing worth shooting came out i was finally gonna shoot a doe <laughs> and i uh, had one working in i seen i want to say four that afternoon and the last one she was coming right to me and so i got my bow and i was gonna i was gonna take her and then the neighbors across from the wma they were making all kind of ruckus and riding their lawnmower up and down the dirt road <laughs> it just nice. it made her real uneasy so she kind of stopped you know, of course, where I couldn't get a shot. She was right there at like 15 yards, but she was just in a bunch of thick cover. And then when she finally started moving again, she scurried on across and got up in the thick pines, I guess, where she felt safe. And then the next day I hunted that same spot. We had some rain uh, that morning, so I didn't hunt. But as soon as the rain stopped, I got back out there and seen a couple more does way out of range. They were they were far off and then went home this weekend and hunted with my dad for christmas and saturday we were uh pretty much anything almost anything goes you know we weren't going to shoot no spikes or anything like that no spikes or any 
two or three pointers, you know, we, we let those go, but any decent eight point or anything that came in and a doe was definitely going to get hammered. <laughs> and uh, I went to a spot that he's watched some does feed in through this field and then come right into this food plot. And so I seen them coming up out of the bottom. They were coming across the field on the neighbors. Um, neighbors got a big field for their goats, a clear cut and planted in rye. And the does, they did just like dad said they did last time. They came out in the bottom they were coming up the field and i was like well here we go you know this is gonna be this is gonna be it and then they they started running up through the woods on the other side and i was like well daggum you know what happened and then they went way up over on the hill and now this is they're a good seven eight hundred yards away at this point and but they're the field is that big and it's kind of a big l shape and i could see them on the far corner so i got my binos up and i was looking and they had a big old pile of corn over there and the does were eating in that corn over there <laughs> on that on that hillside. Nice. So so they never never worked in my way, you know, and they just kinda mingled over there till dark and then the next morning I got out and went to a roadway stand that we put up specifically this year because we had a lot of activity of bucks crossing back and forth on that road. Pretty consistent. And I checked the one of the uh cuttybacks we have on it and there was within about last week week or so just over a week there was like three or four different bucks coming through there and a few of them in daylight so i was like what the heck you know i'll go down in there and of course as luck would have it dad slept in so and it's kind of a far shot to where they cross that road consistently so i was like well i'll just take the rifle you know first time i've taken one besides my quota hunt all year (laughs) <laughs> I was like, I'll take the rifle, and uh, that way, if they come across down there, you know, I'll have a shot because it's it's a narrow gap. So if they come out, it's going to be quick. You know, you're going to have to get on them, stop them, and yeah. take the shot. And as luck would have it, I take the rifle, and I had four does walk right by me at like 12 yards. I mean, <laughs> come right underneath me. And I was looking at the biggest one. I was thinking about shooting her, and I was like, Nah, if I had my bow, I would. And so they kind of mingled on, fed on about their way, and then about nine forty-five or so i was sitting there hadn't seen anything for a while and then i just hear all this crashing through the woods behind me and i'm like well dang you know that's a deer i knew it wasn't squirrels and they were coming through the woods behind me and they were coming right to me so i kind of was like looking behind me and i didn't see nothing i was like well daggum you know so i kind of leaned back in the stand a little bit and i was looking to the right up this other roadway that goes up through there and i thought i could see a deer maybe about 60, 70 yards out. So I I kind of slowly stood up, got the rifle, leaned out around the tree and put the scope up and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't make out a deer. So I was like, well, no, that's, that's not a deer. And so I hung the rifle back up and I sat back down. And when I did, I heard something kind of pounce to my right. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked down and sure enough, it's a, a really, really big eight pointer that we've been trying to kill all season and he's standing right there like 20 yards and i guess coming through those pines when the doe and the buck had split up they were coming through that and i just couldn't hear him coming you know you i know you've heard it when they come through them pines oh yeah you know, they, they can be silent as a ghost yeah and so he pounced a little bit to the right and then he he cut off down in the thicket and i was like well gum, you know i blew him out and then he went down in the thicket and it went just a second later, he went in and then three does popped out and went across the road. 
and but he never followed behind so i don't after seeing that i don't think i spooked him i think he was chasing those does and maybe he had stopped when they went off in the thicket and then he continued on down that way yeah but, you know, it was just another another tick to the heartbreak board of the season, <laughs> you know. I was like, man, I, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have no luck. Yeah, you definitely had some some close encounters, though. But, hey, at, at least you've, you've got to see some some good bucks this season. That, that beats the heck out of, you know, sitting out there all season and never even right. having an opportunity. But Yeah, and, I mean, I've had my, my opportunities, you know, like you said. I had a really nice seven-pointer come in and – I elected to pass him. He walked right by me, and uh, I elected to let him go. And so, you know, I easily could have shot at him, you know, whether I'd have hit him or not. That's all in the scenario. <laughs> but, I mean, it was it was a close. It would have been like a 15-yard shot, so I feel pretty confident. But I let him go, and I've seen some other bucks, you know, just nothing that I felt like I should take. And uh, still got two weeks left. I got some more cameras I haven't checked in a while. I got to run this this weekend try to get out friday in the rain maybe you know try to check them because time's running out so i got to take every advantage i can with the holiday even though it's going to be raining that morning try to get out there that morning and you know throw a rain jacket on if i have to and pull some cards and see what's going on because we still got two weeks two weekends left so that's right and then we got alabama (laughs) that's right yeah so maybe i can i can punch some tags i could go punch a tag tomorrow afternoon if i wanted to i got a bunch of does and one buck showing up i mean almost every afternoon before it gets dark on the piece of private i picked up in town and the buck he's a he's a nice buck but he's just not what i'm looking for especially off a private piece so is that and i'm the one you sent me the picture of yeah okay yeah yeah he's a nice buck yeah he's a nice buck but i figure you know if everything goes to plan i'll i'll still have that piece next year Unless he gets by, hit by a car, he's not going to get shot. Yeah. So he'll he'll make it in the next year and should be that much bigger. But if one that size comes by me on public land, yeah, he's <laughs> that that'd be his final ride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say so. He would be for me too. So, but I know. So that's my heartbreak. But I know you've had some good deer hunting stories. You know, I feel like every time we talk. I'm I'm always telling the sad end of the story, and you're always telling the positive end. So I know you've had some positivity positivity I, here. I, I guess you could call it positive. I, I'm trying to look on the bright side, but <laughs> no, it, it was yeah. Um, we were uh, or my son was able to uh, to kill the first deer off of our our new property this past um, was that Saturday? I guess Saturday or yeah Saturday evening. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, he he wanted to. He'd been asking me earlier in the week if if he could go back there and hunt. I had a, I'd bought a uh, a two man stand that I hadn't had time to put up yet. Of course, we'd been gone out of town uh, for Christmas, and yeah, and of course the day we're the day we leave and get in Kentucky for Christmas, I get a daytime picture of this big nice. Yeah. I think it's a seven. I think he's got one brow time broke off or missing. But a really nice buck back there showed up during daylight hours. And uh, he's still showing up, but it's all been night since that first time. But anyway, I got, you know, several deer coming in back there. And uh, so we got home Friday. Yeah, Friday evening. Saturday morning, I got back in there. Saturday midday, I went back in there, me and my son. And we got that two-man stand put up. 
you know, with the plans of him hunting it that evening. I kind of plan on going with him and, and maybe even video. And then he kind of, he, he threw a curveball at me and, and asked if I cared if, you know, he took his fiance instead. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I said, yeah, I, I could live with that, I guess. And so yeah, him and him and her went, which, you know, that was, that was pretty cool. I'm glad to see him. Well, I'm just glad to see him still wanting to hunt. You know, he's, he's uh 21 now in college. And of course, like I said, he's got a fiance, um, you know, just busy. And so, and he's never been ate up with it like me, but he's always liked to hunt and, you know, just kind of randomly he'll, he'll come to me and say, Hey, you know, can we, can we hunt? And, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm thankful for that, that he still has that interest. But so they, yeah, they went back there that evening and after he got back there, I texted him and I was like, Hey, by the way, I'm like, don't shoot my button buck. I said, he's always the first one to come in. So I said, watch the head, you know, look, check the head. If you, if you got a doe coming in, don't shoot my button buck. And, uh, <laughs> so that, that evening it was getting just about dark. I'd been somewhere with my father-in-law or something. And we came back in and we was standing in inside me, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, my wife, and you know, boom! We, you know, you get, heard the gun go off, and there was no doubt, uh, you know, what had happened. And so I immediately text him, and he's like, "I shot a doe," and I'm like, "Man, cool!" And you know, I said, "Did did she go down?" Or he said, "No, she she ran off, but I think I hit her good." And so I waited a little bit, and then I texted him again. I said, "Well, you want me to walk, you know, walk back there and and help you look for?" Her? And he said, "Yeah." So got my boots on and got ready and then uh, my daughter wanted to go with me as well so we headed back there and he said it he's hunting up kind of on top of the ridge at the back of the property and he said it had kind of run off to his left which was kind of down the hill really back towards our house but down towards the creek so when i went back there to head towards him i kind of took the long way around in the direction he said it went well we didn't much more get across the creek and there it was laying there <laughs> and he was, he was still up there to stand. I, I texted him. I'm like, well, I found your deer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was excited and came down the hill there. Well, before, well, before he even got down the hill, I went over and I was looking at it and it, it the way it was laying, you couldn't really see its head or its head was kind of turned up. I flipped its head over. <laughs> sure enough, it was my button buck. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't even say it. And, and, you know, I had told him that and I, I, you know, I, I was halfway serious. I was hoping he wouldn't, you know, I wanted him to avoid the button buck. But at the same time, when, when I seen that he got that deer, I just laughed, you know, I just laughed to myself when I saw it was that button buck. And, and he came down there and we talked for a few minutes before he, he never even realized it until, you know, we were talking about the shot and he was a little worried because he walked out there and didn't see any blood immediately where, where it had been standing. And of course, it had it was losing plenty of blood by the time it got down the hill there, right? But uh, he made a good shot on it. But uh, yeah, he was talking about it and everything, and then he finally just kind of stopped and looked at me, and he said, "It is a doe, isn't it?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, it's a button here." Uh, he just <laughs> he just laughed, kind of shook his head, and he's like, "Oh, sorry." <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i i didn't care i told you i was i was happy that I, I didn't realize it till we got to talking but that's the first deer he shot in like three years and i didn't realize it had been that long um you know we've we've gone a little bit here and there each season 
but he, he just hadn't got to get out much. And, uh, yeah, that was the first one he killed in a few years. So I, I was happy. I was really happy. Didn't care at all that it was the button buck. I was, for one, it was just cool that we, you know, killed a, a deer off our own property. Right. So that was exciting. And, you know, for him to kill his first deer in a few years, I was glad to see that as well. So good oh, stuff, yeah. man. We, we were excited about it. And, uh, now my, my daughter wants to get out there and see if she can kill one too. So hopefully maybe she can get the big doe this time. <laughs> kill that big seven uh, yeah. Point. Heck, I would, man, that would tickle me to death. If that big seven pointer stepped out there for, uh, and there's several, we, we've getting several bucks on camera. I've sent you a picture of a couple of, yeah. got a couple of, uh, oddballs with like broken off on one side or a spike on one side. You know, I jokingly, Texted you and said, got a couple coal bucks, <laughs> uh, which if, yeah, if you've <clears throat> seen my posts on social media, you know how I feel about the whole coal buck thing, but right. we won't get into that today. That's a whole nother episode, but yeah, uh, but yeah, that was, that was really cool. So, um, you know, I ain't, ain't been getting out hardly any myself, but, but that was uh, a really good way to kind of cap off the Christmas season there. There you go. But yeah, I guess with that, that man, was, that's all, that's awesome though, man. That's awesome to get that first deer on the property, and he was able to shoot it, and you know, take his first deer in a while. That's always awesome. So, oh yeah, congratulations to him. Yeah, there's there's plenty of other bucks and button heads and stuff running around <laughs> out there. I don't I don't think one button button head is gonna set us back. <laughs> nah. Uh, nah, but so before we dive into the Q and A, I'm gonna get on my soapbox again. Uh-oh. And it's it's kind of a continuation from the last podcast because I'm still confused, Brian. I'm still confused. <laughs> I've talked to so for y'all that didn't listen to the last podcast, the, I know a lot of y'all have because I've seen some stuff in some forums and stuff where it got mentioned. And uh, I was talking about the the specific WMA being closed during the middle of the rut for that week, and right when the rut was peaking, and so I'm I'm lobbying to get that change. I called the the game management office for my region, and the the nice lady at the desk, you know, she she asked me what I was calling about, and we started talking about it. When I told her that you know I was calling, I had a couple things I wanted to discuss with the biologist, but that was the first thing that I had brought up, and I had mentioned you know about the wheat closure and just wanted to talk to him about seeing to get that change because of the rut and. I mean, instantly she was like, yeah, that's being changed on the next rewrite for the date. She's like, they knew they messed up right when they when they wrote that week being closed. But the way she explained it was every two years is when they do the reevaluation period. That's right. It was already set. This year's the end of that two years. So um, next year that should be changed because last year it was set right at the same time. So with that being said, that's awesome. Glad that they're, you know, realizing that. But she stated that the reason they did the week closure, which I'm fine with. I said that on the last podcast. I'm I'm completely okay with the week closure. But was to the closure was to give the deer a break. Where I'm confused. To me, giving the deer a break, if you're if you're closing it for the bow hunting season, but you're leaving it open for the small game season, that's not Given the, especially on a place of that size, that's not really giving the deer a break. In my in my opinion, because yeah, the, the bow hunters aren't out there, but 
all the rabbit hunters, squirrel hunters, and quail hunters are out there running through the thickets, still running the deer all over the place. So I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I can see uh, on some areas that I agree there, on, on the areas like, well, some of the ones I hunt where it's a larger track, it's primarily wooded. Yeah. When you shut up, when you're just have small game, you got, a, you know, you got a handful of squirrel hunters and stuff out there, but it, it, that you probably are giving the deer break in those cases. But I know the area you're talking about, and uh, it's kind of like uh, I'll, I'll throw jokers out there because <laughs> you know we're not we're not primarily hunting jokers, and but that's an area that that does get hammered probably similarly to the one you're dealing with. Um, it gets hammered small game, you know, whether it's rabbit, quail, squirrel. I mean, a little bit of everything, and and so yeah, you're not the deer aren't getting a break out there too much. Um, cause, and that's cause it's, uh, there's a, just so much open area on it. Um, but, but yeah, I understand. I see what you're saying in particular with the area that you're talking about, uh, the, the, uh, the deer probably aren't getting much of a break during small game hunts, but. Right. And I, and the only reason I'm bringing this up for the listeners, you know, if these are some concerns that y'all have as well, the best way for us as hunters to make it where, you know, everybody has the same opportunity, and I'm not saying close small game season down. I'm not saying that at all. I know some small game, if you're a small game hunter, don't take that the wrong way. I'm just saying the the for this for this specific area, the place should be closed completely just for that week if you're really stating that you want to give the game a break. That's all I'm saying. Right. Yeah. But if if these are some concerns you have, the only way we can get it to change is to speak with your area biologist, speak with your game office, you know, for your region and express your concerns. Go to the board meetings that they have, you know, uh, regarding the regulations and the rules and the season dates and all that. Go to that stuff and express your opinion. You know, that's the only way you can get it changed or even get the talk started of maybe something for the better, you know. So with that. Yeah, and that, that, that's a good point because, as you mentioned, um, this is the this is the year or 2021 will be a new reg cycle. And so right now they're actually working on that stuff, as you mentioned. And typically in January, they'd have public meetings. I'm not sure how that's going to go with COVID. I don't know if they're going to have virtual meetings or, or how that's going to go. But um, you can check out the DNR website and, and see about those. And, and we'll try to keep you informed. I'll, I'll try to find out a little more about that myself. Um, but even if you can't make a meeting, uh, there's places on the website where you can submit your comments and stuff. So now's the time to do that. If you, if, if you have some, uh, gripe or, or, you know, a suggestion or whatever the case may be about the regulations, um, you know, get that in now, because again, when they set this new, these new regs, they're going to be in for two years. And so you're going to be stuck with them pretty much, um, for the, for the next two years. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up one more situation, just just to get people thinking, okay? And because I feel like one, it's really dangerous, and two, it it doesn't make a lot of sense. But so there's a specific WMA, and when I say how many acreage it is, people will be able to find it really fast. 
the place is 300 acres. <laughs> it's a WMA. It's 300 acres. It's probably the only one in the state that's that size. <laughs> but there's a bow season that opens up, and I, I would be fine with – I don't think that many people bow hunt it. I know there's some handicap hunts out there is what I think it should be used for. If you bow hunt this place, you know, I'm not, not singling anybody out. But I, if they did away with the bow season on this place, I think it would be okay. But the place is 300 acres. The bow season just opened up. It's open through the end of the year. There's also dove, quail. There's a couple quail hunts. And then small game as well on that 300 acres all open at the same time plus there's small game at the beginning of the season and this is really the concern here i think this is really unsafe there's a small game season at the beginning of the season and it closes october 29th there's a mobility impaired hunt rifle hunt that starts on october 29th now 300 acres with guys with high-powered rifles and guys small game hunting on 300 acres is not very safe in my opinion. Yeah, that's, I wonder, that's unusual. Usually anytime there's a rifle hunt on an area, you know, there's not anything else going on as far as small game or anything. I wonder if that was an oversight or, or if that was intentionally made that way. But yeah, I don't know. That's different. So I just want to throw that out there as another scenario to think, okay, this could be a concern. You know, I'm not trying to get way off topic by any means by <laughs> what we're going to talk about, but I was going to get back on my soapbox about the confusion. We're getting some of it settled, but there's still some confusion there. I want equal opportunity for everybody. So the listeners don't think I'm hating on the small <laughs> game guys. I, I like to shoot ducks and squirrels and rabbits just as much as everybody else, you know, so I want those opportunities as well, but yeah. I do, I do guys say being as somebody that's been on the other side of the the table, um, you know, when, when you do submit your comments and that kind of stuff, if you go to these meetings, um, do so with an open mind, because like I said, we tend to look at things through our kind of our own um, circumstances and our own desires. And you, you have to look at the, you really have to look at the bigger picture. A lot of times things um, might be, you know, you might not understand why the rules are the way they are, uh, but there may be very good reason why they are that way. Or, you know, in, in some cases, people are just looking at it selfishly and, you know, they want everything, you know, the WMA to themselves or whatever the case may be. They want things their way. And, right. you know, they're not they're not given equal opportunity to the other types of hunters out there. So right. just you know, enter those things with an open mind and, and kind of put yourself in everybody else's shoes as well. Cause my, you know, in most cases there's, there's reasoning behind the rules, the way they are. And in some cases it may be antiquated, you know, it might've just, that's the way the rules have been for years and they just never have bothered to change them. So there's nothing wrong with submitting your comments like you did uh, with, with the season dates there. It was just an oversight and it sounds like luckily you know they're going to take care of that in the next reg cycle so that that's how things get done and right. get done properly you didn't call in there and start yelling at them and right, telling right. them they're a bunch of idiots you know you, you <laughs> just simply called to ask why it was the way it was and and you know it's gonna it's gonna be resolved so that's uh that's the way it should be and and i'm gonna say what well, i got one more 
comment and then we'll move on to the Q&A. Even if you express your concerns and the turnout is not the way you want it, don't don't get upset. Don't be like, oh, well, this, you know, bleep, 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 <laughs> enter a bunch of explicits, yeah. you know, because some 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 things they do do a certain way for a certain reason. So that's got to be you got to understand that. But, you know, they express your concerns, express some changes that you potentially would like to see be made. And uh, all we can do is move forward from there as a whole. Yep, Absolutely. Well, you want to you want to get started with the Q and A? I think you got the questions from Instagram pulled up there. You want to? Yeah, see yeah, what we, we got. Dive, yeah, we'll dive right into it. So, uh, the first question came in from Bowhunter zero zero one, and it says, "How big of a problem is it? How often do you deal with hunters being on top of you on public land?" Well, so, if you want to, you want to <laughs> go with that one, and then I'll jump in. Um. You know, I I know that it's it's going to vary depending on a what what area you're hunting, what WMA you're hunting, and, and b um, what type of hunt it is. Uh, obviously, the check in, some of the check in gun hunts or sign in gun hunts, um, that is much more likely to be an issue than than archery hunts. But in my experience, I haven't had a whole lot of issues with it. Um, have I had people walk up on me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, have I walked up on somebody else? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's never, luckily it's never been an issue. Um, everybody that I've had walk up on me, uh, once they realized I was there has been courteous, you know, wave, sorry, or whatever the case may be. And, and went, you know, the opposite direction or another direction. Uh, and I do the same thing. Obviously if I walk up on somebody else, um, you know, I turn and go the other way. But yeah, yes, it's going to happen, but I try to put myself in places where it is not likely to happen. You know, if, if there's people walking in on me, that tells me that I probably didn't do my due diligence and and scout the area that I really needed to be in. Um, Because if other people are going in there, um, that's not where I want to be. I want to be where other people aren't going uh, on public land because that's, that's where the deer are going to end up. Uh, That's where the deer are going to feel most comfortable. So um, that's, I guess, a long way to answer. But no, I haven't had too much issue with it. And uh, I try to do my best to make it a non-issue by getting off the beaten path and getting away from other hunters. But it's going to happen. You just but don't you can't. Yeah, you read all the horror stories about it online, um, about, you know, confrontations and all that stuff. And yes, that does happen. But that that's rare, man. That's the exception to the rule. Most people out there are fairly courteous and, um, you know, you just have to roll with it. You, you have to kind of expect it. So when it does happen, you're not like, well, crap, you know, there went my hunt. Um, and when it don't happen, it's, it's a nice, it's, it's not, yeah. especially on the gun hunts, you know, you get back in there, you know, you did good when uh, on a heavily hunted gun hunt, nobody walks in on you. Uh, you, right. you've picked a pretty good spot. Right. Now I, I would say my answer is pretty much the same on that one. Never really had many run-ins, a couple here and there, but they've all been pretty good. Have one negative one, but um, I'm kind of the same way. I'm trying to get off the beaten path, go where nobody else is going, or try to find places I don't think anybody else is going. And most of the time, that gets me away from the people. And so, as long as you do your homework and you do your, your scouting and stuff, you can get away and stay away from the pressure. So, I'm, I'm right there with you on that, Brian. 
the next question that came in is from Autry82. It says, can you break down public land hunting rules and stipulations, types of hunts, stuff the new public land hunter may misunderstand reading in the reg books? And before we dive too deep into that one, I think you did a podcast in the past. I may be thinking last year covering all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, episode four, I think it is, I did a pretty deep dive into breaking down the different types of hunts, you know, the check-in versus sign-in, uh, quota versus non-quota, all that. So, yeah, we won't do a, a deep dive into that because if you'll just jump back to episode four, um, I covered a lot of that in detail. Um, and then we did one earlier this year, too, where we – not so much that part. I guess that was more public land strategy or strategy going into one of these hunts. But yeah, um, yeah, I'm trying to think as far as confusion maybe a new hunter would have that he mentioned there. I don't think I can't think of anything that you wouldn't have covered. I think the biggest confusion is between like check in and sign in. Yeah, and yeah. I, I know you covered that in that episode. So. Uh, yeah, which I, I guess just real, real briefly, I'll just say pretty much a check in is a, a check in and sign in are pretty much identical as far as you can sign in online on the app or you can go physically to the check station and sign in on a piece of paper. The only the, the main difference between those two types of hunts is on a check in hunt. You'll physically if you kill a deer, you'll physically take it to the check station and check it in, and they the DNR will put a tag on it for you, so that doesn't count against your statewide limit. Whereas a sign-in hunt, if you kill a deer, um, it's just like you kill one on private property. You have to put it, you know, write it on the back of your your harvest log, uh, call it in, get your confirmation number, and and you don't you know take it to the check-in station. You just load it in the truck and, and head to the house. So uh, that's really the only, the, the main differences between those two. But yeah, we do, like I said, I do a deep dive into that on episode four, if you want to check that out. All right. So the next question comes in from Caleb M. Cruz and it says, how to scar- scout, not, not scar- scout, <laughs> large tracts of land, what to look for, how to find bedding, what a buck bed looks like compared to doe bedding. So, I mean, the way I start with, the perfect example, one of the places I'm hunting this year is massive and I had to start from scratch. So, um, I started with a map, maps, 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 and more maps. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how how many hours I logged looking at Onyx or base map, you know, putting pins, looking at, uh, terrain types, looking at topo lines. I mean, anything and everything I could find. And I would mark those on my map. And then the second biggest step to that, is obviously boots on the ground but with the maps you know i'm looking for places that look thick or far away from access you know the further i can get away the better um maybe an overlooked corner somewhere that maybe i think okay this is really accessible but it may be really overlooked and then once i find those places on the map you know then i put my boots on the ground i'm looking for those thickets and the the thick nasty swamps especially down here where i'm at and then looking for people too, um, especially during the season. You know, if you're if you're hunting a new track of land during the season and you're going out hunting, you know, scout the people, see where they're parking, see where they're hunting, look for stands, look for flag and tape. You know, that's part of all the scouting as well. You know, so that's pretty much how I, I mean that's pretty much breaking it down on how to scout it. You got to start with maps. 
and then kind of pick some plays and then just walk it, walk, 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 and look for the things. I mean, I don't know if you really have anything else on how to scout a large track, but yeah, I mean, you pretty much hit hit the high points there. I, I'm again, I'm the same way, man. I'm looking at maps all the time, even places I've hunted for years. I'm, I'm still. To this day, you know, I'm all, I'm always looking at maps and, and seeing for you know looking for that little nugget that I may have missed somewhere along the way. But yeah, I'm I'm looking just like you said for, to get away from my accesses. Uh, I'm looking for for yeah thick areas where I think the deer are going to be bedding, um, and those transition lines, you know, between where ha- two to more habitat types come together. Um, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for on the maps. And then, like you said, you just get out there and put boots on the ground and, and hit those places that you've marked on your maps and, and see what you can find. And, and you, you just always, even throughout the season, man, always be scouting, always be looking for that most recent sign uh, to, that tells you that's, that's where the deer are, you know, not, not that's where they've been or not that's where you hope they're going to be, but you know, that's where the deer are. That's where, that's the area they're using. So. Right. And with that, with the bedding, you know, the bedding is, it's all in the same, but it's a lot different com- depending on what part of the state you're in. Because if you're down in my part of the state, everything's thick. I mean, everything yeah. is, it don't matter where you go, it's thick. So you got to look, you got to kind of look for the over, don't, don't look at the big picture, look for the little picture. Look for, you know, if you got all these pines, look for the shorter pines that are, that much thicker than the tall pines look for high ground in the swamps as austin pope covered you know and uh his podcast the two two podcasts ago we did episode 39 um look at that you know look at those high points in the water that's a great bedding spot for deer you know they can get down in the water they can get up on those little islands lay down they're dry they got i mean they can hear anything coming from a long way off because anything coming to them's got to come through the water so that's a great, great spot to look for. Or if in flatland you can find a little ridge or something, you know, to give a little change of topography, look for them to be bad in there too. But down here, you got to look for the little details inside the big picture to find them because they can really bed anywhere. Yeah. Um, but if you can find those certain spots that make it that much better, if there's food in there and it's really, really thick, but there may not be food for a couple hundred yards each way, well, they're probably going to bed in there because – they can bed there. They can stand up and eat and lay right back down. Um, as you start moving into, you know, where Brian's at, I'll let him touch on that. But my thing would be look for thickets on top of ridges, you know, inside the oaks. Look for cutovers. Um, that would be a big one. There's pines, too. Look for the thick pines to be bedding in those, especially any ridges that are running through those pines. They can bed along those ridges, which Brian's talked about a few times in the one spot where you killed your buck. And then, you know, as you get into the mountains, kind of the same thing. Look look for the thick mountain laurel, any thick tops, you know, up on top of a hill where the sunlight's able to get to the ground and really thicken things up, you know, with grass and vegetation and things like that. But, Brian, I'll let you talk more about your area. Yeah, it's – I tell you, I'm still learning on, on the bedding and uh, learned a lot just in the last couple of years because, honestly, for years and years, you know, I always – knew um you know you want to hunt between or you always heard growing up or always heard growing up you know reading the articles and, and watching the hunting videos and stuff you know hunt, hunt between the bedding and the 
in the food plots, but nobody ever used to tell you where, where the bedding was, you know, or what you were supposed <laughs> to look for. Uh, and, and, you know, I knew obviously those thick areas, thickets are going to hold deer. They're going to bed in there. But I never, until a couple of years ago, I never really dove in and started like looking for actual beds and stuff. I guess really the hunting public was the ones that really got me started on that. But, um, yeah, in my area, um, one one place I've, I've found on a couple of the WMAs that, that really seems to stand out are those secondary ridges or, or kind of the fingers coming off of a main ridge. Um, if you have some thick areas on those, man, the deer really like to seem to like bedding out on the ends of those fingers. Um, and I guess one thing I used to always think when I'd see a, a thicket that the deer are going to be bedding right in the middle of that. And not to say they won't, but a lot of times it's it's on the edges. You know, you look on the edges, they put that thick cover to their back. They're not necessarily in it because they want the visibility. Uh, they want to be able to see uh, any danger that may be approaching. So they're on the edge of the cover. You know, they're, they got their backs to that thick area and they're looking out in front of them where it's a little more open or maybe off of a, uh, again, off of a, a ridge, the end of a ridge or something where they can see down below them in that uh, uh, in the bottom and of course, a lot of times they'll position themselves uh, with the winds to their back so they can catch any scent that may be coming in from behind them. But um, yeah, just my my recommendation on that is as soon as season's over, man, I love that time of year. That's the time to get out there and just look these areas over and get out there and look for beds. You know, look for these thick areas, look along the edges of any time you can find real thick cover look along the edges and just look for i mean you know you'll see those matted down spots in the vegetation where these deer bedding um and that's the best way to learn because it does vary depending on where you're at like you said i think up in the mountains um there's definitely thick cover up there but i think they probably use terrain a lot more um you know some of those deer probably bed out right in the open but they they're on a uh, the edge of a ridge or something or on that over that uh was it military crest where where they can they have good visibility and then they can use the wind as well to to catch any approaching you know danger um but yeah just get out there and, and look for those beds now as far as man if you can figure out how to tell a, a buck bed from a doe bed other than you know, size, I guess you can look at size. And typically if I find an area where there's, you know, multiple beds all in one area, one spot there, you know, I'm going to, I typically assume that's probably a doe bedding area. You got, you know, six, eight, 10 beds. They're scattered around close together. Uh, that's, that's probably a doe group bedding together. Right. But man, I, honestly, other than that, I, I don't know how you tell a, a buck bed from a doe bed. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to go into one more detail about the, looking for bedding down here in my part of the state if you got if you got big thick pines or you got big crp fields for instance say say you got a big stand of mature pines and you know it's got good understory and growth well you know the deer are bedding in there but look for maybe like a little cluster of like scrub brush or scrub oaks or a little thick area of, of briars or something like that that would stick out to you that you can see that's probably going to be an area that a deer, not saying a big buck, but a deer is probably going to gravitate to because he's going to see it or she's going to see it the same way as, well, this is monotonous, but there's this one area of thick scrub brush that they can get in and they can hide or thick briars. They can get up in those and lay down and, you know, still be able to see pretty well, but they got the cover 
and they can hear anything coming. So that's what I mean by the little details is look for those things that stick out in those monotonous areas. Like the mature pines are a big, you got a big CRP field, but you got a cluster of pin oaks or water oaks that are real tight and create a lot of cover. Then look, you know, look for that type of little detail inside the big, big picture. Yeah, and I, I even seen that, uh, and you might have as well, when in that clear cut when you were helping me look for my, my second buck. Um, yep. You know, it was a clear cut, mainly growing back in broom sage and um but the beds you know they were bedding all out in there but a lot of times you'd find them it might be an old stump or uh, like you said a little clump of saplings or something there but that you know those are the types of areas they would that you would find the beds right around those any kind of little feature that stands out you know that, like you said any, that breaks the monotony of that that grass right um, so yeah that's a good point so the last question here on Instagram, then I got one more uh, that somebody sent me, but it's from Day Jockey, and it says strategies for cypress heads, drainages, pine to hardwood transitions, etc., in the Georgia flatwoods. So I guess I can really <laughs> yeah, touch, that's all touch, you. touch on this. So <laughs> big thing with the cypress heads, going back to what I just said a minute ago with Austin the Austin Pope interview we did is look for those high spots because a lot of time those cypress heads or the cypress knees they're down in the swamps they're down in the wet areas and if you can find those high dry spots down inside of that stuff that's a killer spot to set up just like Austin did in his his interview he found the high ground inside a huge cypress swamp the land was dry it was a pretty decent size area and he set up there and he killed a you know spectacular buck so killed a yeah so that that would be the main strategy for any kind of swamp cypress head like that is look for look for those little high points that the deer can get up on or can cruise across and not be wet. The pine to hardwoods transition it's a, it's kind of a tough one. Um, obviously, it's got the edge that you're looking for that we talk about a lot. But I think with it being so flat, you have to look for the the edge inside the edge on that. And what I mean by that is look for, once again, the small detail. So, yeah, you may have – because what happens down here is you'll have a creek bottom that runs a mile, and then it will be pines all the way down, you know. So it's a, it's a mile of one continuous edge. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great spot to catch deer traveling. But same thing, if you can find just something on that transition that's a little difference, whether it is a little ridge or there's a little cluster of trees – that comes in or, or there's a log falling in that the, the, say there's a tree that's come down on that transition that's going to funnel the deer around you know that would be the spot to look for because yeah they can travel that edge all the way down but they could be inside the pines they could be inside the oaks you just don't know until you get out and scout it and look and hunt it but if you can find a fallen tree or a, a, a fence gap or a gate something like that that can funnel the deer along those edge or a little terrain feature, even just a little bit, just a slight rise of 20, 30 feet, you know, which isn't a lot, but you know, it's, it's enough that it could make those deer funnel around that edge a little better. So that would be the, the advice I would give you there. Or if you can find like a, a transition that has mature, mature pines and oaks, and then there's some small pines, you know, you kind of got a three-way transition right there. That's a really good spot because you got the three different types of habitat. It's just not one monotonous edge all the way down. That's going to help funnel the deer along that edge. Yeah. 
Yeah, one one thing I've noticed here, kind of along those same lines, is uh, or at least in, on one particular WMA that I'm thinking of, where I'll often hunt along the edge of a clear cut. Um, those subtle terrain features, like you mentioned, just a small drainage coming out of the clear cut. Yep. Um, they'll they'll use that to travel to travel in and out of that clear cut. They'll they'll use those small drainages, just something to. Um, I, well, I don't know exactly why. Whether it's just uh, you know they feel a little more hidden down lower like that, where they're not as as silhouetted, maybe skyline. I, I don't know, but they do seem to use those subtle terrain features. Um, yeah, and that's a that's a, I'm glad you men, mentioned drainages because he he or she actually mentioned that. But kind of like what you did with your first buck of the year, you know, you didn't kill him right there. He was coming that way. You didn't kill him, but you had pictures because you found this drainage and there was kind of a flat spot in it. And the deer were using that to travel across that drainage instead of going down. And then up. And if you can find anything that kind of yeah, shallows, yeah. shallows the descent, makes it a little easier to get across, that's a great place to set up and catch them crossing. So that way they don't have to go way down and way back up to get across. Yep, that's right. That's exactly exactly the way that first one worked out. Um, yeah, those were uh, a small drainage runs up onto a ridge where that thing uh, kind of runs out, basically flattens out. Um, I've yeah, I've found a lot of deer sign in those areas. They they like you mentioned, instead of dropping down in the ditch and, and crossing the other side, you know they'll they'll go up the hill a little bit and cl- cross in that flat spot and come back down. So great spot to throw a trail camera. And, uh, right. you know, could be a great spot to ambush a deer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So the last one comes from the old trusty Matt Beauregard. There you um, go. And this is kind of, this is kind of an interesting one. I don't, I don't know if we've really, really ever touched on this before. So kind of interesting. And some of this I know, um, but some of this, you know, you'll be able to touch on some more with your background with the DNR. But his question was, how much can you manipulate the land on public? And obviously you can't go out there and plant a 10 acre food plot. You can't cut down trees. You know, you can, you can snip certain limbs and stuff here and there. Um, you can't cut down a whole tree though, but like, could you go out there with a weed eater and clean out a flat spot of grass and kind of open it up or anything like that, Brian, or is it pretty much don't touch anything? The state doesn't allow it. And yeah, that's uh, that's kind of a gray area. But no, I definitely would not head out there with a weed eater and some throw <laughs> and grow. Um, yeah, that, they're probably going to frown upon that. Um, you know, what, what you could do is is sign up as a volunteer, and you know, they might you might be able to get away with it, or they might allow you to you know plant a food plot or something like that. Of course, you know, you got to realize by doing that. Um, you're creating a food plot for everybody, you know, not, not just for you. So anybody can get in there and hunt it. Um, but no, yeah, it's, you're pretty limited on anything you can do on public land. It's really even gray, I guess, as far as, you know, how much trimming you could do, you're not supposed to do anything that damages the tree. Um, I'm not sure clipping off of a few limbs here and there to clear shooting lanes, really damaging the tree, but, um, yeah, that's so, yeah, not much you can do as far as on public land uh, to do any habitat improvement short of becoming a volunteer on, for your local WMA and <laughs> and helping the you know helping the technicians do some work. Right. So, I, like I said, I don't think that's one we really talked on before. You know, in a podcast, and it's kind of a good, that's a good question though, because 
a lot of guys I'm like, yeah i'll take my little hand tiller out there and i'll till up this acre spot uh it's not a good idea no no and i <laughs> that's funny that he brought that up because i just seen a discussion recently on facebook about whether or not you could do that and you know people were arguing if you could t- you know go out there with some throw and grow and clear you out a spot and try to plant your food plot but yeah i, I don't I don't. I think in most cases they're they're going to frown upon that. Right. So that that wraps it up on my end. Um, I know we got some over there on the Facebook side. So if we want to hop into that, Brian, you can take off with that one. All right. Um, let's see. Chris Jones asked, "What's our perspective on deer being pushed off of public land?" Uh, he said, "Late in the season, if we go back into a spot that." has a a lot of let's see a lot of not very fresh sign and looks like it should have deer but doesn't we tend to default to well they must have been pushed off a of public land um, how often do you think that happens versus me just being really bad at reading signs <laughs> i was just going to say i i think there's two ends to the spectrum on that is is it possible and can it happen yes but i think it's due to location of where you're at on the wma if you're out on the fringe close to private land in the thicket and you bump that deer multiple times and he can just pick up go across the line where he's maybe not getting pressured that much and he's got just amplitude to cover over there as he does on the public land that yeah he, he'll probably get up and move and you'll probably push him off but if you're slap dab in the middle of a twenty thousand acre piece you bump him a couple times out of a thicket is he gonna push off the land no um, is he going to leave that spot? Potentially not. It depends. One, I think how big the thicket is. If it's really small, then yeah, he might get up and move to a different thicket. If it's a really large thicket, he may just reposition himself around it, you know, to stay in there, but find somewhere else where he's not running into human pressure. Um, so I think there's, there is two ends to the spectrum that yes, it can happen. But I think the major key to that is, where where you're exactly looking at where the deer are on the WMA. But that's that's my personal opinion. No, I think you're pretty spot on there. I, I was going to – I'll default to some of the research that I've read and stuff about how deer react to pressure, and, and a lot of the research is based on, you know, GPS collared deer so they can actually see exactly what these deer do when they're pressured. And, yeah, you're not going to – you're not going to run a deer out of his home range. Um, you know, it's just not going to happen. You're not gonna, a pressured deer doesn't just leave the area. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, if, if you're already hunting close to the line, his home range is probably already part of the WMA It's probably part private land. And so, yeah, you, you may alter his movement enough to where he's going to stay over on the private land most of the time now instead of the public, you know, again, if you're hunting right near the edge, um, but but yeah, as you mentioned, no, you're not going to push a deer, you know, out of a thousand acre area um, off somewhere else. Uh, they're they're just not going to leave their home range like that. What you what they will do is alter their movements, um, and it may not be by much. You know, he may simply shift his movement a hundred yards, two hundred yards, but it's it's outside of you know the area that you're hunting or you're you're running cameras, whatever the case may be. Um, and they might not move as much. They'll move. And let me rephrase that. Um, total movement, they doesn't really change. So they, you know, if, if they move, if this deer is averaging 
say them uh, 400 yards a day and and you've got in there and pressured him, he's probably still going to move just as much at 400 yards, but not I don't describe not in a, a straight line distance or they may spend it in a smaller area. He still may move 400 yards, but he may only do it in a 20 acre block instead of covering, you know, 300 acres he was doing before. Um, so yeah, just some of the ways deer react to hunting pressure, but no, I don't think you're going to run them out of the area. Again, you might, you might keep them on private land if you're hunting right there on the edge, if it's a deer that you utilize in both, but, but yeah, you're probably not going to blow a deer completely off the WMA. Um, right. but, but you are, you are going to alter their movements pretty quickly, uh, especially mature buck because it doesn't take much hunting pressure at all. In fact, the, the studies show that, you know, just a hunt or two is all it takes for a, a deer to alter his, his movement. Now that's b- before the next question, with that study about all, but did I see correctly that after like a five to six day period of no pressure, the deer kind of normalizes back to what he was normally doing. They do. Yep. Yep. Um, that, in fact, yeah, there's one, one study was pretty cool. It was part of it was done on public land and where the majority of the hunting, of course, was on the weekends. And so about Friday, when these people start rolling in, uh, you could see deer movement drop drastically and it would just drop until, you know, about Sunday or Monday and then slowly rebound up till, you know, peak movement was like on Thursdays, you know. So once the right. pressure was off after everybody went home on Sunday, those deer would slowly kind of return back to normal um, by, within a few days. So, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff out there. Deer research wise, they're learning a lot with with the use of GPS collars on these deer. Um, next question. What's the best way a new hunter, and this is Chris Coleman, what is the best way for a new hunter with no experience or mentor to get into hunting and not completely blow the experience? I guess the the good thing about today, because I was one of those guys <laughs> that got started with no, no mentor or no experience, uh, and Man, I don't recommend it because <laughs> it took me a long time to, to learn what I learned and everything I learned was through trial and error. But uh, luckily today, you know, that was pre Google and YouTube. So there's a lot of great resources out there. Guys like the hunting public um, who, are, who are put out a lot of great content for new hunters. Uh, my employer, the National Deer Association, has a whole video series uh, for, called Deer Hunting 101. Uh, that goes through a lot of the basics. And so that that at least gives you some some background. Um, you know, I don't think you can learn to be a great hunter through watch just watching YouTube videos alone. But that at least kind of gives you an idea of what you need to be doing uh, and what what, the, what skills you need to learn. I don't think there's a, a great replacement, though, for for a good mentor. So my, my suggestion would be to try to find a mentor reach out, whether it be through social media or um, through people you know, ask around. But if you can find a mentor, that's, man, that is the best way to get started and to really shorten the learning curve if you have somebody that knows what they're doing to kind of show you the ropes. But, you know, there are resources out there, luckily today, through with YouTube and and just uh, the Internet in general, to where you can can learn the the skills. And then it's just a matter of getting out there and, and trial and error. 
you know, I know it's intimidating for somebody new coming into it, but it's, man, it, this isn't rocket science. It really isn't. Uh, you just got to get out there and learn. Uh, I think the most intimidating part for a lot of people is what I do once I shoot the deer. And um, yeah. so, yeah, it's it's good to, I guess, kind of learn that stuff or watch. The, and the good thing is that's the stuff you can learn by video um, as far as, you know, field dressing the deer and, and getting it out and, you know, taking it to a processor or whatever the case may be. But, yeah, I would recommend trying to find a mentor. But if not, just, uh, you know, jump in there and, and start learning whatever you can on on uh, online and then just get out there in the field, get on it, get out there in the off season on these WMAs and just walk and, and learn the area. Um, look for deer sign. And again, that's stuff you'll have to learn kind of online about what you're looking for. But uh, yeah, it, you you can do it. Anybody can learn to deer hunt. Like I said, it's not it's not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. I mean, um, being really good, being a really good deer hunter, that's a different story. But just uh, you know, <laughs> being a, being a deer hunter and having some success, um, you know, anybody anybody can do it. What what, yeah. what do you think? You got any other suggestions? I'm gonna keep it short and sweet. Find a mentor. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I've hunted my whole life and until Brett actually took me out on public land, I had the worst mindset about public land. I mean, I was like, there ain't no way I'm going out there. It's a disaster. People everywhere. I'm going to get shot. You know, (laughs) a a lot, a a lot of way that a lot of people feel. And until he took me out there and kind of mentored me on public land, um, you know, then I realized, okay, this is actually a lot better than what it's made out to be. So fi- find a mentor. Yep. I think, yeah, I think it's the bottom line. That's, that's the best. There's no replacement for a good mentor, you know, showing, taking you out there and showing you the ropes. All right. Um, William Barnum said, what about old school hunters who only shoot bucks and never harvest any does? Well, I, I don't really know what to say about that. <laughs> Why? Uh, I mean, uh, I, I I understand. I mean, I know there was a time when there just weren't does to shoot. You know, that was and and that was taboo. You know, you didn't shoot does because the deer population was so small. Um, you know, the does were your breeders, and, and it was taboo to shoot one. But man, we're long past those days. Uh, plenty of opportunity, plenty of places to get out there, and, and yeah, there's still areas where you don't want to go in there and shoot a bunch of does, you know, where the population is still maybe um, not where it needs to be. Uh, and that's of course why you see areas now where very, with very few doe days in certain spots, but there's plenty of places out there too, that, that need does harvested. Um, you have to keep the herd balanced. And so, yeah, I don't, uh, in today's world, there's no reason to, to be somebody who won't shoot a doe. Um, yeah, that ain't me. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, they each his own. Hey, if you if you only want to shoot bucks, you know that's that's your choice and it's legal. And hey, have fun doing it. But I think it's area dependent, kind of like Brian talked about, like at our home farm, for instance. You know, we we shot five does off of it last year. Didn't didn't hurt the population. Seemed to be right at the number we need to take this year. We're only going to take two based off what we're seeing. Um. And then, but I know areas down here where I'm at, where I live currently, I mean, there's farms killing 300, 400 deer a year and they're, they're, 
they're not killing nowhere what they need to kill. And I know that sounds crazy, but there, there are plantations and farms where they're killing that many deer and the deer are still decimating their crops because that's how many there are. And that's how crazy the population is, you know, in certain areas. Now it's not everywhere. That's just certain scenarios that I know of where they're permitted to kill that much. And they do. And, but there's still, I mean, there's so many does on the place that they're not even hurting or even touching the population. Now, if you go to the mountains Start shooting three, four hundred a year. You're not <laughs> yeah. going to see a deer. No, there won't be any left. Um, but so it's it's very area dependent. Um, a good way if you're trying to judge it, get a biologist involved, do camera surveys, um, get with them. They can tell you based off the forward sign that they see and the toll that the deer are putting on it. You know about how many deer you got, how many you need to take, stuff like that. So there's resources, but. If for the old vantage, if all you shoot is bugs, you don't shoot any does, hey, it's legal. If that's what you enjoy doing, keep on keeping on. <laughs> that's right. That's actually a good lead into another, not really a question, but a comment we had on this same thread. It said there's way too many doe days and 10 doe limit is absurd. Well, again, that goes back to the reason the limit is 10 and no it's not because the insurance agencies are in control of the the dnr I, as, I'm, I'm, I'm i'm gonna cut you off i'm glad you were talking about that because i see that comment so many oh, times yeah. every post about the deer limit everybody says it's the insurance agency so i, I didn't mean to cut you off but i'm no. glad you're about to cover this and why would the, why the insurance agencies care? They just jack your premiums up. I guarantee you, they ain't losing any money. Right. So, but no, it the ten, well. First of all, the DNR cannot change the bag limit that is set in by legislature. So that actually has to go through legislature to set the the bag limit. That's why they went to doe days instead of you know a lot of people were wanting the bag limit changed. And the one thing the DNR could do with is set these limited number of doe days. Um, so that's what they've done. But again, as we were just talking about, just because there's a 10 doe limit doesn't mean everybody needs to shoot 10 does off their property or, it's a, or that, right. you know, that's the reason it's high is because there are some properties that need it. You know, there's some properties where they need to kill a lot of does to keep the herd imbalanced. Other areas, they don't need to. And that's why just because, again, just because there's a limit doesn't mean that's, that's how many you need to go out and shoot or it's okay for you to go out and shoot that many. Well, the DNR says I can shoot 10. So that's how many I'm going to shoot. Well, your property may not be able to support that. You know, uh, right. you have to, you have to look at it at, at the property level um, when you're deciding the number of deer you're going to kill uh, on any particular property. And so, um, yeah, that's the, re and, and the fact is 99% of the people, you know, are not killing over like two deer anyway, regardless of the fact that they could kill, you know, 12. So it's, it's really, for the most part, it's a non-issue. Um, the doe days, uh, you know, that's a different story that again, that's the way the D the DNR are using those doe days now to, to try to manage at a smaller level or at least a, a county level now where the, you know, some counties, um, 
again, you mentioned the North Georgia mountains, you know, the deer population has, has dropped there drastically due to, you know, poor habitat and the lack of any kind of timber harvest in the area. And so, you know, they don't need to kill as many does there. They limit the number of doe days. Uh, again, if, if they wanted to reduce the bag limit, that has to go through legislature. And um, I don't know how likely that, that would be to happen. But uh, that that's the reason why the limit is high, though. Again, it's to give that flexibility for the people, the properties that do need to harvest a bunch of deer. And, uh, you know, for the ones that don't, then you got to show some self, some self-control and, you know, regulate yourself or uh, regulate the people you have hunting the property. But uh, unfortunately, right. some people, I guess there's, you know, there's a select few out there that that just have to shoot everything they see, I guess. But right. Yeah. Just just for instance. So would you shot three deer this right? You're right. Two bucks and a doe. Yep, that's right. Right. So you've killed three. My dad's killed one. Brett's killed two. Evan's killed one. And I've killed none. So between <laughs> five five people, we've killed two, three, four, seven deer between four, five people. You know, so just because it's like you – and the reason I'm saying that is just because it's a 12-number bag limit, we're, we're not even coming close to the number of deer we could take. Right. And, there, so, man, there's a lot of state. Well, I don't know about a lot, but there's some states, Kentucky, where I'm from, most of the state is um, all the zone one counties, which is the majority of the state, or at least it, it was when I was there. Uh, you can get unlimited doe tags. I mean, there's no limit. You can shoot 10 in a day uh, and just keep buying them. And, you know, the Kentucky deer herd has not been decimated because – you know, people know people, most people are, uh, again, they're not, they're not going to shoot over a couple of deer, uh, the average person. Now, again, that's not to say, right. you know, I know there's some people out there that will probably fill all 12 of their Georgia tags this year, but those people are few yep. and far between. Yep. Um, unfortunately, you know, if it's your neighbor and you're trying to manage your deer, then you might not <laughs> yeah. be happy about that, uh, that 10, 10 doe limit, but let's see right. what else, what else? Oh, we got, um, uh, John Dolan said, and I hope I said your last name there right, uh, said a, uh, maybe a good topic for this time of year is what natural food sources do deer seem to key in on in the late season? And I think, was that last episode? Just, we, yeah. Like, like, yeah. Well, I think it was episode 40. Yeah. Sometime here recently, anyway, we kind of touched on that some. But yeah, um, Again, red oak acorns are still out there and still viable this time of year. Uh, you might find a late drop in water oak or, or just an, an oak that's dropped that uh, red, oak, red oak acorns will last a lot longer on the ground than white oaks. So, you know, the, the deer will still key in on those where they're available. Um, anything green this time of year as far as like greenbrier, honeysuckle or two that I like to key in on around where I'm at. Um, if if you can find a big thicket of those, a lot of times they'll be hammering those this year. And and man, I, that's I mentioned earlier. That's where I took SJ. And of course, you know, I mentioned we didn't see anything, but they had been hammering most of those thickets. The only leaves left on those in those thickets were the ones you know overhead high for a deer. Uh, it's just amazing that you know to see how much they decimate those those honeysuckle and greenbrier plants this time of year. 
Um, anything within reach, man, they had they had pretty much eaten. But yeah, anything green. Uh, of course, you know, if you got the, if you're fortunate enough to have food plots available to you or any crop fields that that may still have some grain in the field. Um, what else? And, and you know, a big part of a deer's diet this time of year is woody browse. And yeah, that can that's kind of something that it's hard to key in on because they can you know, they can browse about anywhere. Uh, but if you if any place you got young timber or a cutover. Um, those are areas, you know, where there's plenty of woody browse within a deer's reach. Obviously, a big mature, you know, oak stand, uh, they're going to have a hard time browsing on anything woody there because all the branches are way above head height. But any kind of young growth timber you can find, um, that'll be a source of food as well. Yep. That's all I had on the our actual Facebook page. I don't know if there's any in the group. Yeah, I've got a couple here pulled up. Okay. Um, then we'll, we'll read these three, and then I guess we'll call it there. We push them, what, about an hour and a half almost. Yeah. So uh, the first one comes from Frank Lloyd, and it says, How to Hunt the December Lull. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard it referred to as that. But the biggest thing is uh, we covered this, I think, in episode 40 as well, is food and cover. Food yeah. and cover. Find the browse. Find the few dropping acorns that are left. Um, the the honeysuckle, the greenbrier, the woody browse, and find the thickest, nastiest cover you can find. Um, that's where your deer are going to be. And unless you're just going somewhere that, say, a private farm, it hasn't been hunted all year. They still got some cut corn up or something like that. Then yeah, sit on the edge of that field. Deer probably walk right out there, and you'll probably have no problem. Uh, harvesting one but for the the average person that's hunting public land or a pressured farm you know find that thick cover find that late season food and you'll find the success that's right and scout until you find the most recent sign i can't i can't say that enough because it is i mean this time of year i've struggled in the past it's kind of feast or famine it's it's either you're seeing a lot of deer or you're not seeing any deer whatsoever and it's because they, they're concentrated. You know, the deer are kind of grouped back up. Uh, they're keying in on certain food sources. So you just got to get out there and scout till you find that, that food source that they're keying in on at that given point in time. And it'll change. You know, it changes all the time. So you got to stay up with them. Um, but, yeah, once you find them, you'll, you'll be in the deer. But it's just a matter of, of getting out there and, and scouting until you, uh, until you get on them. Yep. Yep. So we got another question here, Brian, and we may want to save this one for a a later date because we could really go into 30, 45 minutes talking about <laughs> this. And to give it a short answer, I don't feel would do it justice either. But um, it comes from Brian Wilkes. It says tactics on picking the right areas on the three day gun hunts, especially if you've never been there or had time to scout on the ground. The best chance and technique for success. So. I don't know if a short answer is going to do that one justice, and we could really dive deep off into that to really cover it. Yeah, and we we touched on that, man. I need to I need to learn our episode numbers better, but we <laughs> we, we touched on that not too long ago. We did one, you know, on uh, on a you know, I forgot how we what we called which episode, but it was basically about having a successful, you know, public land hunt. And it, we didn't necessarily, I guess, dive in. It wasn't necessarily just a three day hunt, I guess. 
um, you know, you could definitely get deeper into tactics for a sh- where you're going on a shorter hunt like that. And we're getting ready. To, we're actually preparing for our own in Alabama. So we're kind of yep. facing that scenario. But, yeah, we might want to save that for a, another episode. Um, maybe after Al- the Alabama trip, we can talk about how it went and what we did yep. to prepare for it or something. But Yeah, but, so, so, Brian, we're not ignoring you. We didn't forget you. Uh, just – Hold on a couple more episodes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you we'll, go. We'll, we'll cover that question for you because really us giving a little two or three minute answer is really not going to be enough detail for what you're asking for us to cover. So, And see and if, then, if we come back from Alabama with deer and then, you know, it'll we can give a legitimate answer. We'll know our we'll know our <laughs> advice is good. But I guess if we come back right. deerless and you might want to ask somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I got one more question here, and I think this is actually a really good one to to end on in a really good note to leave the listeners with. It comes from Mark Williams and it says, has social media made deer hunting a competition? I think it's definitely encouraged it to be a competition, I guess it's, I think it's made it worse. I I don't know that social media started it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think maybe the whole big buck craze, you know, started with the, the TV shows and the videos and stuff and, um, and maybe built from there and it's social media is just, you know, gave it a even bigger outlet. Um, it's, it's really easy. I know it, man, it's so easy to get caught up in seeing the deer everybody else are shooting and, and thinking, man, everybody's killing a big buck, but me and, and they're not, man. <laughs> you look at the statistics, they're not. Not everybody's out there killing those big bucks. But, you know, when you're seeing them in your feed, uh, it, it can seem that way. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of people have kind of drifted into that, that thing where score is so important. You know, how many inches of antler on a deer's head. And I do, I kind of do miss the days when I, when, when I first started hunting, uh, you know, if you just killed a buck, man, that was something. And all anybody cared about, you know, they'd ask you how many points it was. It didn't matter. It could be the biggest six point in the world. But, you know, if somebody if somebody shot a little eight pointer and you shot a giant six pointer, well, that eight pointer sounded better, you know, because he killed an eight pointer. <laughs> Nobody cared about inches of antler or spread or any of that stuff. You know, it was just how many points was he? But, it, you know, it, there was never a competition feel to it. It was you might do some good natured ribbon, you know, each other, uh, who killed the bigger buck. But I, I do hate that the buck that it's come to buck shaming and all that, which I do think a lot of that has been brought on by social media, people saying stuff behind a, a keyboard that they would never dare say to a person's face. And if they did, they'd probably get their teeth knocked out. Yeah. If, I mean, I don't, I don't even know if I should say it, man. Uh, um, <laughs> Oh, you got to and, now. You brought it up. <laughs> my, my personal opinion, social media is ruined hunting. Um, and that's just my personal belief, man. I, I'm I'm a younger generation man, so I grew up in the social, social media era. And the negativity that I see on a daily, consistent basis throughout the hunting groups, it, it's mind-boggling. And it's, it's really a shame, man. I mean, and it's not just bucks, Brian, it's, it's everything. Some, some dude's happy, you know, he got this tree stand, you know, for $40. Oh, well, I, well, I got a $250 climber 
Well, well who cares? Yeah. The, the, yeah. the guy's happy, you know, he got to stand. Maybe he's a new hunter or maybe, maybe his job, he can't uh, go, he can't go to, I know I can't go out and just buy $250 stands like they're going out of style, you know, I mean, no. and it, it goes, oh, well, I, I picked up this camel at Walmart, you know, I got it on sale. Oh, well, I got $250 worth of Sitka. Who cares? <laughs> you know, and it's, well, I just buy you a shirt. Uh, $250. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'll, I'll no, probably, oh, no, I'll, no. I'll probably end up investing in something like that because it is really good stuff. It keeps you warm, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to shame the guy because he's. Heck, I, I wear camo from Walmart. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not going to shame another guy because he is, or because he's, he's got hole in his boots. Heck, half the soles on my boots are falling off. You know, <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's with everything, man. It's, it's not just buck score and buck shaming. Oh, you, well, you kill. Well, you should have let him go another year. And I try to, I try to keep my comments to myself. But sometimes I just can't help it when I see guys, they, they post a picture of a deer on social media and they're like, should I shoot him or should I pass? And I'm like, no, nobody on this page can answer that question for no. you. Or if, should if, they? <laughs> yeah. If, if you're looking to Facebook or social media for somebody to tell you, yes, shoot that deer, you're in it for the wrong reasons. Because nobody else should be able to tell you whether you harvest it unless it's an illegal deer. But if it's a completely legal buck, nobody, nobody else can tell you whether you should shoot that deer or not. No. And I'm myself in that situation. I mean, I, I've seen deer and I'm like, yeah, I'll shoot that deer. But in the same sense, I know the minute I shoot it and this is bad. And I'm just being honest. This is I, I don't talk about this much, but it does happen is I know the moment I may want to shoot that deer and then I post it on social media, it's just going to get blasted. I'm not saying it's a spike or anything like that, but you know, it could be a nice little decent seven or eight pointer. But as soon as I post it out there, you know, I know it's going to get blasted. So it's like, it almost makes it, 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 it almost takes the fun out of it sometimes, which is bad, but I'm, I'm <laughs> you got me on my soapbox, man, but that, that question hits yeah. home because I really do think a lot of social media is ruining hunting for a lot of guys and lord don't don't even get me started on the waterfowl pages lord <laughs> but yeah, it, i mean it, it is pretty sad when we treat each other worse than you know than animal rights activists are treating us i mean you yeah. expect that from from tree huggers or <laughs> bunny huggers but when we're fighting amongst ourselves man that it's pretty sad and yeah i mean to be honest with you i remember you know a few years into Moving to Georgia here, I was I was on a a buckless streak, man. I hadn't killed a deer here in Georgia, or hadn't killed a, a buck in Georgia, and uh, I I shot one on a WMA um, on a archery only WMA. I actually shot a doe, and then ended up having getting a shot. This buck killed both of them the same day, but uh, you know I I was excited, shot this buck, and then you know I recover it. And the first thing I'm thinking is, man, I'm going to catch crap for, you know, it was like a two, right. two and a half year old six pointer. And, and I was tickled to death when I shot it. But then here I am worried about thinking about posting on social media because I'm going to catch flack for shooting a two and a half year old buck. Right. And, uh, you know, it just, it shouldn't be that way. You should never worry about, you know, catching grief about, like you said, shooting a legal deer. Right. I, I don't understand if, why anybody would feel the need to comment negatively about somebody else's harvest that has no or some whatever 
whether it's harvest or their equipment choice or or how they hunt, if it doesn't impact you, why does it matter? You know, I just don't I don't get it. Yeah. And it does. It concerns me about the future of our sport because less than four percent of Americans hunt. So how long can we hold off, you know, the anti hunters and stuff if we can't stick together and um, yeah, I think some people just assume that hunting will always be around. Oh, it's I got a right to hunt. No, you don't. It could be yeah. taken away tomorrow. It's been right. chipped away at already, you know, for different types of hunting, and uh, don't think it can't happen. Right. So I'm a, I'm gonna leave it with that, man. That's that's my opinion, and a lot of guys may may think I'm I'm just being dumb and stupid, but I mean it. You read between the lines, it's clear as day. Yep. Yep. Just, uh, man, goes back to the old golden rule. Just treat others as you'd want to be treated. And right. again, if it, if it doesn't impact you, um, then, you know, why, why does it matter? Don't, there's, you know, if it, I guess it goes back to uh, what my mom always told me when I was a kid. If, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Just keep Definitely it to yourself. Yep, because they're, they're not needed. So, But with that, I'm going to get off my soapbox. And, uh, <laughs> guys if you, and ladies, if you submitted a question and we didn't get to it, we'll try to get to it on the next one. Also, if you want us to go into more detail about some of this stuff, feel free to ask us. You know, we had a lot of questions, so we were trying to do like a little speed round Q&A there, trying to get to as many of them as we can and touch on the high points of each single one of those questions that we were able to read off. So, you know, if we didn't get into enough detail about a question and you still got questions, feel free to shoot us a, a question about that question. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll be glad to go into more depth to it. But, Brian, I know we got a couple of new ratings and reviews, oh, yeah. um, you know, due to the the giveaway we're doing. So I've got one pulled up right here, and I know you've got a couple others pulled up. So I'll go ahead and touch on this one, then I'll pass it over to you for the other ones. Okay. So this this one comes from XC Blur. It says, great weekly podcast. And it says, you two have a good vibe together, and I look forward to listening in every week. My favorite segment is the breakdown of your personal hunts. Great job of bringing informative guests. Thanks for the content. So huge thank you for the review and the rating you left us. And I'm glad you like listening to our hunts. Been pretty bland <laughs> here lately. But yeah. hey, we, yeah. we're just honest about, you know, what we see in our time out there in the woods. We ain't got no reason to lie to anybody. So we, we give it all heartbreaks and the success. So and then, Brian, I know you got a couple there as well. Yeah. Uh, the first one here is from Twin Cedar Gap. And the title was Georgia Centric Great Info. And it says, Great Info with specific strategies for hunting Georgia public and private land opportunities. Also, good sound qualities without the high, low volume disparities often found between participants on many podcasts. Enjoy the product on all fronts. Thanks, guys. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate the, yeah. the comment there on the, the audio quality. Uh, yeah. We try. We know it's not not always perfect, but uh, we we try to do what we can. We, we're definitely not uh, either one of us any kind of. Uh, I don't even know what the term would be. I'm definitely no audio expert no, uh, by any means. But uh, next one says great podcast by must be a wolf. <laughs> uh, said as a public land hunter here in Southeast Georgia, I've really enjoyed your content and learning all I can about public land hunting. Keep up the good work. 
So appreciate that. Uh, next one is from Blake Morton. Said, awesome podcast. Loving the South perspective on deer hunting and land management. Keep up the good work. And then another last one here. Nope. Two more. <laughs> All right. Got uh, tougher than that. Okay. Tougher than nails, I guess is what it uh, the, the name is. <laughs> Said, great hunting podcast. I love the podcast. I hunt North Florida and a lot. And a lot applies from this podcast. So we appreciate that. And good luck down there in North Florida. And then the last one is A. A. Eretz. I don't know, man. Some of these Apple podcast names. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, hopefully I didn't mess that up. A. That's A. A. And uh, it says quality Georgia hunting info. This here is a good podcast. I love Georgia, but unfortunately, I live in Satan. <laughs> I live in Satan's anus, otherwise known as Florida. <laughs> but I only hunt middle Georgia. <laughs> I apologize to anybody else out there that lives in Florida. <laughs> uh, it says the gentleman in these podcasts give me great info to apply and has helped me be very successful and fill my freezer. If you hunt Georgia, this podcast is a must. So we appreciate that. Oh, that's Satan's anus. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one to end it on right there. So that's yeah, all. Yeah. Good, good laugh. That's all the reviews I have. Um, and I guess that's really all I got, man. You got anything else, Robert? Nah, man, that's it. And if, as we say every week, if y'all haven't yet, please go out and leave us a rating review on Apple iTunes there on the podcast and app. We greatly appreciate it. It helps us out a lot. And obviously, some of them are pretty funny. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully everybody gets a good laugh out of them. But we greatly, greatly appreciate all the support and y'all going out and leaving those. So if you haven't yet, please go out and do that. And, uh, Brian, we got two weeks left, man. We're yeah. winding down, so they got a long way to go. They want this trail camera. Go have to right. get busy. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was just talking about hunting season. I was oh yeah, about the giveaway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The giveaway is just a few days, actually. So yeah, yeah. y'all better get busy yeah, on make, the reviews. Yeah, make sure y'all get in that. We got the ratings. Two hundred mark. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred ratings. So all you gotta do is yep. go to Apple Podcasts, throw us out five stars, and uh, and then head over to our Facebook page and comment done on the, the post that's pinned there at the top. So yep. that'll get you yep. entered. All, yeah. If all our listeners do that, we'll hit it. No problem. So we that's right. appreciate, appreciate if y'all go out and do that. But yeah, man, season's winding down. We got two weeks left here and one trip left. So we'll hopefully have some good news for y'all next week. I hope so, man. I'm looking forward to that trip. I know we'll have a, that'll be a couple podcasts down the road, but, uh, yeah, maybe we can even record one right there during the hunt. So, but yep, with that, guys, we'll wrap it up. As always, hunt safe, shoot straight, and most importantly, man, just enjoy your time out there in God's great outdoors. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.